Hi, Phil Spencer here, and this is Mortgage Insider from Barclays, the podcast series for mortgage brokers. I'm a property expert and sometime TV presenter, and every fortnight I'll use my experience to get to the heart of the biggest issues in the mortgage sector. I'll be joined along the way by industry leaders, brokers, and indeed Barclays' own experts who will share their insight and expertise to help you navigate the challenges, changes and opportunities in the world of property. Stick or twist? That's been the dilemma for central bankers since our last episode went out in June. Economists and indeed some in the housing market have been poring over the data and hanging off every word said by those at the Bank of England, trying to determine the direction of the economy and, of course, also the housing market. To try and unpick the current economic position and help us understand what it all means for brokers, I'm joined by friend of the show, Will Hobbs. Will is the Chief Investment Officer at Barclays Wealth and Investments. Will, great to see you again. Thank you for coming in. So we spoke last time in May and, and it feels Seems like another lifetime. It does, it really does. <laughs> does. There have been more ups and downs in, in the global economy than I you know and I've had breakfast I think inflation has gone down a touch but the base rates gone up um I think Jeremy Hunt said recently the UK's financial situation is worse than in spring give us your view let's just kick off what what, what do you feel has changed in the UK economy since we last spoke which yeah back in May six months ago yeah, that's a good. It's an interesting. Um, what hasn't changed? What hasn't changed? Yeah, that's more the thing to think about, Phil. I would say I'm just a tiny bit more optimistic about the outlook for the UK economy than I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, That'll do. That's yeah, fine. just end the podcast <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, that's the only thing. Well and I'm probably the only economist that ever going to say that. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's certainly in the team that I'm lucky enough to work with, you know, we're always forcing ourselves to think about a range of probable outcomes from the moment in time. And if you think the media, for the most part, is incentivized to give us bottom case scenario, isn't it? Because sort of, you know, bad news sells, the old yeah. adage says. So you, you have to really have to make an effort to see what could go right. And remember, you've got to treat the economy as innocent until proven guilty because growth is the norm, not the exception. Um, and that's because most of the time, you know, humankind is inventing new stuff and get better, getting better at using that new stuff. And you've really got to find reasons to bet against us rather than with us. And at the moment, the interesting thing about the UK economy and Europe and the US to a degree is that inflation-adjusted wages, so they've, you know, Nominal wage growth has been submerged under inflationary pressures. So in real terms, we've been losing money famously for some time. Now, actually, on a year-on-year basis, UK, European and US consumers are now enjoying positive real wage growth, which is quite a big deal, I think. Now, obviously, central banks are trying to sort of slow it down. But what you're finding is inflation comes down and real, you know, the unemployment backdrop stays tight. Then positive real wage growth is, is, is good news. And it's an underestimated thing. So that's we're not reading about that in our newspapers. Well, why would they, in a way? I think we're much more absorbed. And, I, you know, I, I, the more I think about this, the more it seems to make sense to me, which is, you know, that you look at the economy, you know, we're inveterate pattern spotters, aren't we? You know, and I always sort of wonder who really thinks that looks like a, that constellation of stars looks like a plow. And the same is true of economics, you know, and markets to a degree. As we look, you know, you've only really got plausible economic data in the post-war period. Yep. Probably even more recently than that. Yes. And so what you're doing is you've never got enough data 
enough economic cycles to really make cast iron rules. So what you're doing is you're mixing what the economic data tells you with intuition and sort of what makes sense. Now, as a result, we're now looking at this kind of, you know, you raise interest rates, that makes saving more attractive, spending less so. And you're just sort of looking for patterns. And I think the economics community and I think the media as well, they just become obsessed by looking for mm. proof that they are right. Their theory, their understanding of the world is right. But my feeling is that it's different you'll, every time. You'll do yourself out of a job in a minute. I, it's already <laughs> happened. Yeah, that's why I'm here. You know, so yeah. But of course, there is also public sentiment and, and yes. what people feel like doing, yes. regardless of perhaps what they should be doing or what the economic data or whatever they're reading in the newspapers tells them to do. Yes, and that's it's a great point, Phil. I think we, we touched on this last time in a way, is that, you know, quite often, you know, the pervasive gloom can translate into economic activity. And, and there's a big yeah. kind of, you know, doomerism is a, is a thriving trade in the UK in particular. Mm. Um, you know, we love to talk about... Yes, you know the decline and fall of the UK, uh, the UK economy and country and so on. But but I, I, I'm sort of of the opinion that it's not that bad stuff can't happen, and it's not that interest rates can't slow the economy. But it's just we need to keep in mind that it's not just different this time; it's different every time. Yes. But this time might be particularly different because of the pandemic um, and all that that changed about us about institutions mm. about what we've got in terms of savings arsenals just mm -hmm. it's 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 still pervasive and so we want to be wary of just sticking to the rules because you know yes. that makes us feel comfortable and trying to make sense of the kind of splattered chaos of economic data uh we often feel uncomfortable in front of it so we force it into the latest economic model the most fashionable one and it makes sense again if you... but you're feeling more comfortable more settled uh, a little Than you bit. were six months ago. Yes, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I think one of those things that, you know, we're a little bit further through yeah. digesting that interest rate burden. What is it? Kind of 8 million households, roughly speaking, with, um, you know, owner-occupied mortgages. Mm. You're about halfway through that, you know, in terms of sort of adjusting those interest rate costs. Okay. And, yeah. and the consolation we've always had along those lines, and it's not a perfect matchup, is that those mortgages and the excess savings are clustered in the top 40% of households. So there is mm -hmm. uh, asset meets liability to Got a it. degree. Yes. That yes. doesn't mean it's perfect and doesn't mean it won't change yeah. you know, people's spending uh, you know, intentions, but just that we want to be wary of the kind of real doomsday okay. stuff going around. But that, as a given, we, we've also got interest rates at the highest level they've been for 15 years. Yes. Um, is there any evidence to suggest that they've peaked? Or is that going too far? Phil, I mean, I think we're close to it. I mean, that's what we said. La we said last time that there was mm. probably a bit more to go. Mm. I think you wanted us to say it was over, <laughs> it was over. <laughs> understandably. We all want it to be over, especially those of us uh, looking yeah. at repricing our mortgages. But the interesting thing about interest rates is, well, there are several interesting things about interest rates. I mean, one, there's this study that I uh, reminded myself of the other day. It's called Eight Centuries of Interest Rates by a guy called Paul Schmelzing. So it's not going to outsell the latest Just Jack Reacher. Stuff. Yeah, gripping. Yeah, no, gripping. It's, it's, it's literally 200 pages yeah. of pure, pure, beautiful stuff. But the interesting implication of this is that there is a kind of downtrend of several hundred years in real inflation-adjusted interest rates. And it's pretty much insensitive to monetary policy, fiscal policy, political setup, all those kind of things. So real interest rates may just dance on a longer term to a tune we can neither hear nor control. Um, and so that's just something to 
bear in mind with regards to the longer-term story. Slightly contradictory, but another thing to bear in mind with regards to interest rates is that they can have, on the way down and on the way up, self-fulfilling effects. So there is now some evidence to show that ever lower real interest rates actually reinforce themselves to a degree. Low real interest rates beget low real interest rates. And the same might be true of higher real interest rates, because what comes with higher real interest rates is you have to, you know, if you think of an economy having you know, finite amounts of precious capital to deploy, what you want in a way is a hurdle rate that's quite stiff Mm. to get projects, you know, to get over that line, you want the best projects to survive rather than all projects to try and, you know. So in a sense, there's a kind of stiffer penalty for not being the best idea, not being the best company. And that can help redistribute capital more effectively, which can help growth, which can help. You've really thought this through, haven't you? Deeply. You love it. I love it. I love it. But no, Phil, it's interesting. And I think the the point about this, and to answer your question, is yes, I do think interest rates are sort of there or thereabouts. You know, there may be another, you know, a few bits and and bobs here, but we're a lot closer to the end than we are to the beginning on that front. Will they come back down sharply? I personally don't think so. You'd need a sort of sharper recession or correction in order for that to happen. So in a way, it's a positive thing that I think they won't. Have you any idea what the long-term average interest rate is, or or even post-war? It just feels to me like we might be about there. Yeah, we're not not a million miles away from it. The real point that you would make is that it's the last decade that's the weird one. Yes, it's completely. And and actually, where we're at today, we might just have to get used to it. Yeah. That's what money costs. Yeah, I think that's right. Remember that the interest rate doesn't operate in a vacuum, um, you know, because it reflects all sorts of other things about the economy, like the growth rate. So how much return you can get or where wages are going or all sorts of other things. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I think people get stuck on the fixated on the idea that, well, this is just, you know, everything else is the same, but uh, everything, you know, but this is more expensive. Yeah. Whereas in a sense, that's probably not quite the right way to do it. And we talked about last time, you know, the reality, the potential for productivity to pick up again. Now, that would drive higher interest rates because it would mean, you know, a higher what's called equilibrium rate mm. for mm. the economy that balances everything. I don't want to get too chimpy about it but basically you know high real interest rates doesn't have to be a bad thing it can just be a difficult kind of thing to transition to yeah should we be looking abroad and i'm thinking particularly to the us and and to europe for indicators of of what direction the uk economy is likely to be heading or very much so i mean if you're looking for the sort of single largest slice of demand for global plc it's the us consumer U.S. households. Mm -hmm. So what starts there, that usually is kind of where a lot of the economic weather comes from for the rest of the world. And for the U.K., you know, we need to remember that we are a small open economy. That means that you get a lot of weather from outside. We Uh, are tiny in comparison with the U.S. or China for that matter. Yeah, yeah. No, we're small. And and, and, and generally, you know... So it's a kind of predictor. If you look at what's happening in the U.S., there is an element of yeah. that. I mean, it's not perfect and sure. one for one, but certainly that's a lot of where, where you get a lot of your economic weather from. Okay. That's that's sure. And the good news there is that the US is seemingly doing pretty well. 
Again, that's not to say stuff can't go wrong. But the interesting thing, again, is that, you know, US central bankers have basically put a brick wall in the path of the US economy, and it just seems to have crashed through it. And it now seems to be accelerating somewhat, which is kind of weird. And quite a lot of economists are turning around and saying, well, it's just the kind of roadrunner moment, you know, so you're over out over open air and the economy doesn't realize it yet. So it's going to plunge into the, right. the abyss before too long. But that may, again, just be this kind of this mm. mistaken instinct to try and keep on proving yourself right. Yes, yes. On no real evidence. And actually what you're seeing is interesting in the US economy is you're seeing quite a sustained pickup in kind of investment in intellectual property and research and development, again, associated with these trends in artificial intelligence. So okay. that should be getting people a bit excited yeah. in some ways. And of course, there's there's elections coming up in America and also here in the UK. Yes. Although, again, I'd be wary of saying that we could second guess it. You know, yes, there will be impacts. Not all perfectly called ahead of time. At least one of the, you know, candidates, all candidates in, uh, you know, Democratic can be mercurial. There can be a big difference between mm. stump box rhetoric and yes. implementable yeah. policy. That's part of the point of the kind of checks and balances to a degree. I would. I mean, I've long since learnt to not try and call elections. <laughs> you make a fool of yourself pretty quickly. But I would say that generally, you know, the forces that drive economies and our kind of household outcomes, most of the time, it's not necessarily about which political party is in power. Most of the time in most democracies, your political authorities are given the ability to change the distribution mm -hmm. of outcomes, mm -hmm. you know, which households versus other households, somewhat, yeah. but not necessarily the trajectory of the I economy. See. And so yeah. if you look, for that instance, you know, when you when you talked about, you know, the history of interest rates post-war in the UK, yeah. the fascinating thing is that the trend growth rate of the UK economy has been like absolutely mm. stable mm. through all sorts of administrations of all yeah. flavors so yeah. actually so they can tinker around the edge quite a lot of the time yes. and that's not to say it's not possible no. that you get kind of no. big ruptures and there are important decisions you know in the US yeah. you know your president has although his or hers powers are quite constrained domestically by various checks and balance be yeah. they congress you know Internationally, there is more unfettered power, um, which can be dangerous, can be difficult to, to absorb. But I'm not sure whether this moment we should wonder whether it's more dangerous than ever. There's always going to be enough bad news to fill a 24-hour news feed. Simple as that. The world, the planet, as big as it is, I'm not sure whether that's reflective of... You actually know, what's going on. Yeah, the yeah. trend and, oh, yeah. and whether we're actually yeah. living in more dangerous yeah. times okay. or whether it's the okay. appearance of such that's mm. kind I of... I do like talking to you, Will. Trying to stay positive, <laughs> Phil. We've got to try and get out of bed every morning, um, you know. Can, can we just look ahead, end of this year, yeah. going into 2024? The, the Institute of Fiscal Studies is apparently predicting a moderate recession in the first half of next year. What would you say that... The key things that brokers should be following and, and paying attention to. Then. Yes, that is possible. You know, we've had some data out recently showing that, you know, it seems like business confidence is still pretty kind of low in parts of the UK economy. Those are same indicators have been of less use in recent times than they were previously, just to be aware. There is also, you know, you're finding in the next couple of quarters going into next year, that interest rate headwind mm -hmm. uh, is kind of peaking. So you're at the peak kind of right now in yeah. terms of pressure. Yeah. If there is a price to pay from these 
you know, these interest rates in terms of a recession, then it probably would be in the next couple of quarters. That yep. would be the case. Yep. Again, though, remember that uh, real wages poking their head into positive territory is a much under underestimated thing, especially in consumer led economies like the UK and the US, you know, around okay. two thirds, more than two thirds is kind of consumption based. So you, you, yes, don't get too gloomy. And I think the thing to look out for, for, for brokers, you know, I think most of it is, you know, the problem you can get yourself in a real tangle trying to say, like, whether the Sonia, whether interest rate curve is telling you the truth or not, and which bits you disagree with. In a way, I would almost be tempted as just to sort of take that as a reasonable indicator of where interest rates might go. Yeah. And just focus on, you know, the day jobs to a degree yeah. and not getting too caught up with forecasting okay. or whatever. And it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And don't buy into the And you're the still gloom. smiling. And you well, know more about, about it than most. Well, try to. But yeah, but I think don't get into, I mean, that's the most important message I would continue to give is don't buy into the kind of doom narrative on the UK. You know, yes, things can go wrong, but there are there's plenty that could go right as well. Um, and that's not going to be talked about much in the media. Always great to hear you. Thank you for coming in. Will is the Chief Investment Officer at Barclays Wealth and Investments. The views expressed by external guests in this podcast are their opinions only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Barclays. Thanks for listening to Mortgage Insider. I'm Phil Spencer and this has been a Fresh Air production for Barclays. Please do rate, review and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Talk to you next time.